right. Hey, so we are, yeah, we're in our series this morning, uh, third week on the, the mind of Christ. You see on the screens on both sides. How many of you got to be here, though, last week and hear Tammy speak on contending prayer? It's always better to hear her than anybody else. Can I get an amen from that, right? Yeah, super fun. I do encourage you to listen to her message from last week on contending prayer. She has a unique platform to, to speak about this, to spending over 20 years in India and having to give her a life to, to prayer and that being the primary asset tool weapon that they would use in the home that she was leading, this children's home, to see God's move. And there's such a unique power behind the stories that she tells, and I encourage you to listen to it. If anything, it'll be unbelievably uh, encouraging uh, for you. Um, has everybody, can y'all all see the painting? I know you can't see it perfectly well. Do you want to get up and look at it real quick? I mean, y'all can if you want. Um, this is, uh, yes, the Laura painted, and we're going to dive into this in a bit. Um, it's really cool. Like, we always, before she paints, she's like, what are you speaking on? And I'll kind of give my thing. Well, I was running late because we were literally, we were gone last week doing a wedding out of town, and I didn't, I was not able to get to her notes to her, and so she just began to pray, and I wrote her and said, hey, I'm going to be speaking on the mind of Christ as it relates to humility. So that's kind of what I'm going after. She's like, oh, my gosh, that's the word that I have is humility. I'm going to be painting this woman bowing down in humility. So really, really neat how God connects those things. And so this morning, uh, I encourage you, again, just to allow this to be a, a teaching tool or something that God uses to speak into your heart and mind this morning. How many of you are football fans in here? Yes, man, NFL started back, college football, just a couple of weeks. Uh, we're looking for a three-peat, go dogs, right? But I, was, I opened up ESPN this morning because I am a sports fan. You can't go throughout your day without being a sports fan, without opening up ESPN. And so I opened up, and one of the very first stories is the story of DeMar Hamlin. If you remember last season, DeMar Hamlin, right, just for the Buffalo Bills, he went to tackle somebody, hit wrong, and he was out, right? And he was paralyzed and died on the spot and came back to life. It was a beautiful piece, right? But the, the reality of his story, I mean, it was just powerful. It was in national news for multiple days. And I opened up this morning, and he played in the football game last night, right? He played for the Buffalo Bills. And, and it was fascinating because when he started, it was – I didn't actually get a chance to watch the video, but the, the tagline on it was, DeMar Hamlin talks about the mindset – that he had stepping into the game last night, right? And the reality for DeMar Hamlin is DeMar Hamlin has a football player's mind, right? You know what I'm getting at. Like, he has a football player's mind. Like, he, he, he just eats, drinks, and breathes football his entire life. Anybody who knows, like, football players usually, like, I mean, have been playing for their entire life, their whole life and every bit of their day, especially professional athletes, they don't, they don't get to choose what they do during the day. They, they are told what they're going to do because they're football players. A lot of football players struggle when they, when they retire because they don't know what to do making decisions for themselves right around their time. They're told what to do. He has a mind of a football player. So he stepped onto the field last night for the Buffalo Bills. He had that mind. But in the moment, he had to choose a mindset because he had lots of other thoughts racing through his mind. You could imagine first game back, last time I played in a game, this happened, right? This, this horrible incident happened that almost took my life. And so in it, he probably comes in and starts talking about, I have this football mind, but I had this mindset, these actions, these 
these action verbs that define how I think, how I play, what I think about and process when I'm playing. And this morning, that's what we're going to be talking about. The reality that we have the mind of Christ. If you remember, we looked at 1 Corinthians 2, 16 for a couple of weeks. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? And he says very directly, but we have the mind of Christ. It's just a very direct statement, right? We, as new creations, as children of God, the moment you gave your life to Jesus, you went down into death, but were raised to new life in Christ, according to 1 Corinthians. You now have a new persona. You are a new person. You've been washed clean, and you now have the mind of Christ. But having the mind of Christ and then choosing a mindset that goes along with that mind are two different things. These actions that we give ourselves to. And so in this, the mind of Christ is a positional statement. As we've said, that now that we have relationship with Jesus, we live in the position of having the mind of Christ. This is powerful. It's overwhelming. But the idea is that we can be in a position of having the mind of Christ, but not actually embrace the mindset of Jesus. We may have the mind of Christ, but not choose his lifestyle and choose his, his understanding of life. We may not choose the things that Jesus would want us to choose. We call that sin in some level, right? But there's idea we can have something, but not actually engage it. And that's the idea of this morning, looking at Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, looking at chapter 2, verses 1 through 8 this morning. It says this, you can follow along on the screen. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Think about unity here. Having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his or her own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves. See the word mind here. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let me just say this as it relates to theology, right? This verse, especially the idea of what does it mean to empty yourself, has massive theological ramifications. And to be honest with you, has been argued for a very, very long time. In fact, the great schism, the great schism of the church in about 1087 in Constantinople, the great schism was basically over what does this mean? What does it mean for the divinity of Jesus versus the humanity of Jesus? How divine and how human? I want you to know this morning, I'm not going to be diving into the theological debate, okay? I just want you to know that. I want you to know that I recognize it's out there. Because this morning what I want to focus on really is the heart behind why this would happen. The mindset, right? The picture is a picture of the mindset that Jesus had while he was human on earth. Now, in this writing to the church at Philippi, I want you to get a kind of an understanding of what's happening behind the scenes. Why is it being written? 
chapter 1, verse 27, Paul says this, and it's kind of the heartbeat of why he's writing. He says, conduct, he says, he wants them to conduct themselves or conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus. It's kind of the purpose of why he's writing it, right? The purpose letter to speak about their conduct, to speak about their actions, to speak about the mindset and the way that they live their lives. So you could say that this is a parental or pastoral letter, highlighting concerns and highlighting growth areas, similar to what we looked at a couple of weeks ago in 1 Corinthians 2. He's looking at them saying, you need to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, and you're not, so I have to write to you. We see the issues named in the first four verses that I just read from chapter 2. I'm going to read it again, and I want you to begin to see the tension. I want you to begin to just grab hold of what you see is conduct or things that they're giving themselves to. I don't have to share it with you. You'll see it. I will talk about it, but you'll see the things. I want you to see the things that he's talking about or speaking about the conduct that are keeping them from living a life worthy of the manner of their calling. It says this. Verse 1, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, basically what he's saying is, I'm going to bring all of you in because no one can say that this does not apply to them. It's just a simple way of saying this applies to every single one of you. Verse 2, make my joy complete by being like-minded, which means they weren't being like-minded having the same love and being one in spirit and one of mind. There's tension here. He comes as, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Lead, let each of you look not only to his or her own interests, but also to the interests of others. Again, here we see the problem he is addressing. Just like the church in Corinth we got two weeks ago, Paul is concerned with disunity, disunity, selfish ambition, and a gospel ineffectiveness because of that lifestyle, right? Disunity and discord hinder the message of the gospel. Remember, we've heard said before, they will know that we are Christians by our love for one another, speaks to a unity, a deference to one another, a preferential treatment, a sense of humility towards those that we're in relationship with. Paul sees something brewing in their community that's a common struggle of any movement that a human being is involved in. We see pride exhibited in selfish ambition, and we see arrogance. Many commentators feel from the nature of Paul's exhortation, his challenge against selfishness, that we can infer that there were budding factions or people who were opposed to one another in the church of Philippi. And in a gracious way, Paul is saying, your disagreements, your disagreements reveal that there is a spiritual problem in your fellowship, in your heart, and in your mind. It isn't going to be solved by rules. It's not going to be solved by threats. It's going to be solved when your hearts are right with Christ and your hearts are right with each other and your mind 
and your mindset are the same as Jesus. They have the mind, but they have to make a choice to live out and experience the mindset. And that's what Paul then is naming in verses 2 through two through 4 and then 6 and 8. He's talking about the mindset that defined the life of Jesus. Kind of like DeMar Hamlin had a specific mindset coming into the game. Life is not a game for us, right? But it is everyday life. And there's a mindset that Jesus had as he went into his life that we are then to engage because it's this. Jesus is much more than just a model of the life we're called to live, but it's definitely nothing less. He absolutely, in his lifestyle and who he was and the things that he did and how he thought and the actions he gave himself to is absolutely a model to us of what our lives are supposed to look like. So in this, remember Paul talks about this idea of having this mind. says, have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. Some, some actual um, translations talk about have the mindset. It's kind of this tension, this, this idea like you can interpret it both ways, have the mind or have the mindset. And I'm just saying I believe it's both. I believe it's this idea that we've been given the mind, so we are to have then the mindset that the mind of Christ would have. And the implications of these verses are twofold. You have been given the mind of Christ. Again, it's your position in Christ. So the idea is then engage and live out the mindset. And that's going to be a level of personal responsibility. Yes, you're empowered in your personal responsibility, but it's still a personal responsibility. We've unpacked in previous weeks the first part about having the mind of Christ. But this morning, again, we'll unpack the idea of the mindset of Jesus. So let's look at this verse 3 through 4. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. That's a great phrase. It preaches super pithy and easy. How many of us, by nature, live this out and find it to be easy to prefer in humility to count others as more significant, more important than how you view yourself? I don't know about you, but that's just a little bit hard for me. Right? A little bit hard. Look to each, listen, let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. In my opinion, humility is the base foundation for everything that Jesus does and everything that Jesus is. Humility, preference, deference. It's the mindset from which he makes all decisions. It acts as his core motivation. As I've said before, in my opinion, love is not Jesus' core foundation. My opinion. I believe humility is. For love is simply a fruit of a truly humble life. Right? Humility, preference of others, dying to self right, leads to the ability to love others. I cannot love without humility. It's the foundation. C.S. Lewis gives a couple of thoughts around humility. I'm going to share both of them with you. I find them helpful in this idea and conversation around humility. First, the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Right? Just read that again. The essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less, like beating myself up. It is thinking of myself less. Think about John the Baptist. You must increase. I must decrease. It's just a simple idea, right? Hard to live out. But 
I just find myself, I'm not really worried about myself as much as I am worried about somebody else. I'm not as engaged in myself because I'm totally engaged in other people, right? Humility makes much of others. Humility chooses to defer. Humility is confident, right? Confident in my own identity as a child of God so I can give myself to other people, right? Humility frees me, as the verse says, to have a mindset of viewing others more significantly than I view myself, to live aware of and fight for the interests of others because I believe God will fight for me. Listen, I love this. This is like, I don't know if you ever read C.S. Lewis. Sometimes he's hard to read, like all the time. Like you read it and you all, your primary takeaway is, oh, he's much smarter than me. That's always my number one takeaway reading C.S. Lewis, right? But I love this one because this is super practical. I can grab on to the practical things he says, right? He says this on the screen too. If we were to meet a truly humble person, we would never come away from meeting them thinking they were humble. The thing we would remember from meeting a truly gospel, humble person is how much they seem to be totally interested in us. Like, have you been around those people? They just want to ask you questions. They, like, they just want to learn everything about you. They just want to know you. And then you walk away like, man, they're my best friend. You go, can you tell me about them? Well, not a single thing. They just ask me questions the entire time, right? I never forget, I found a friend of mine named Chris Hewart. He, he went over to, to India back years and years ago. Mother Teresa was still alive and said, hey, can I, I would love to to a prayer time right in Calcutta. And, and so walked in, so I met one of the nuns and said, hey, do you, I would love to meet Mother Teresa. And she, she goes, oh, of course, she's in prayer. Let me get her. It'll probably be about 15 minutes. So he's a sister and sister and sister. And he's like, this playing this mind, all the things he's going to ask her, all the things he wants to know about her. And he said, she sat down with me and like the presence, he said, just like literally melted something off of me. And she began to ask me tender questions for about 15 minutes. And I just answered and answered and she cared and she cared. And then she looked at me, smiled, says, I have to leave now. It was so nice to meet you and learn about you. And she got up and walked off. Right? And he goes, I walked away feeling more known and more exposed than I've ever had in my entire life, and I never felt so loved. That's the nature of humility. She had all the platform in the world, hung out with presidents and hung out with world leaders and spoke all over the place, was Time Magazine's like Woman of the Year, whatever it was, and whatever year that was, right? I mean, she was somebody important. All she wanted to do was sit there and learn from this little kid from Omaha who was in a nobody, quote-unquote. It's powerful humility. Verse 6 through 8, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by coming obedient to the death, point of death, even death on a cross. So much can be said again about these verses, so much theological ramifications and weight here. But what I want us to see simply in these verses that, listen, we could argue about all day long, what does it mean for God to Christ to empty himself? What I want you to see in these verses, a mindset, is that Jesus was God, but was willing to leave it behind for you. He was willing to leave it behind for me. Again, profound, rich, and theologically rich, but the mindset behind him is clear. Jesus chose to be a human, 
He chose to leave heaven. He chose to leave his status before others as God at the door, leaving his advantage behind and becoming by choice a servant for humanity. I love when Jesus goes into full-time ministry, people in his hometown, their only statement is to say, isn't this the carpenter's son? Which basically means for 30 years he hadn't done Jack Diddley squat except be a faithful Jew lover of God. That's all he had done and to be a good son and a good brother, hopefully. I'm sure he was. He was Jesus. That's all he had done for 30 years. Just lived this life. People were surprised. He had laid that down. He had laid this down. He had emptied himself. Again, it's a powerful statement. Look at the word grasp in verse 6. I'm going to just kind of throw out some of these words here. The word means to see. It's not on the screen, but it says this. means this. The word means to seize something, to hold on and not let go for personal advantage. I grasp the life preserver so I don't drown, right? My personal gain I grab hold of. Jesus was God but chose to allow himself and ever the mystery of it to be seen as a man. He didn't need to main. Listen, this is super important. I want you to think about how many times a day do you tell a story to make yourself known by someone? I will confess before you, I live in a world where sometimes I meet Christian famous people. Sarah will attest, it is hard for Steve Hambrick to not then name drop that I just met somebody. I do it. I'm ashamed of it every time I do it, right? Because I want someone to say, well, I'm not somebody, but I know somebody who's somebody, and you should know me as somebody. Now, are you going to get Like, how many of you, please, for the love of God, raise your hand. How many of you feel that tension sometimes? Raise your hand. Are you, thank, oh my gosh, you're like, you're all so much more holy than I am. No one's raising their hand. Just kidding. But I do that. Make a name for myself. Think about it. Listen, I want you to think about it this way. Let's just make it even more crass. At some point in time, this is a terrible example that came to me. At some point in time, J- Jesus was a middle school boy. Right? He lived the awkwardness of that. If you're in middle school and you're a girl or boy, sorry, it's just a tough year. But high school's coming and college even better, right? Like middle school's hard, right? You just live awkward. You feel awkward. You sound awkward. I mean, it's just the nature of it, right? And, and Jesus was perfect, right? So he was probably made fun of. He was goody two-shoes. He wouldn't do anything bad. He was a mama's boy probably. I'm just saying, I just made that up, okay? I have no idea, right? But you know, I'm getting it. There's something in the life. And, and I guarantee you, because he was tempted in every way a human being's tempted, he suffered like human beings. You know, I'm sure somewhere along the way, someone made fun of him. Someone belittled him, and I'm sure Jesus in the moment had that whole argument like, do you even know who I am, right? Do you know who I am? Like he could have literally just dropped it like that. He could have grabbed, hold, just reached back up, said, I'm going to bring that down for a second for the junior high just to make it a much better three years of my life, right? I'm going to drop the, do you know who I am? I'm the son of God, right? Mic drop, walk out, everyone falls out in the spirit. It's a great moment, right? Jesus didn't do that. Jesus did not do that, right? Paul clearly says the idea of fighting, doesn't he never flexed, right? He never flexed in the moment. Paul makes it clear the idea of fighting for a name, a title, for honor. Some of you grew up in like in a charismatic church where there's a culture of honor. Jesus never fought to be honored. 
He said, I just want you to know me as a slave to you. That's the word bondservant, what he calls himself. A person who takes in their freedom by choice to become a servant to others, a slave. Remember when Jesus takes off his clothes and wraps a towel around and says, let me just wash your feet because this is the picture of what a pastor should look like. A leader. In, listen, a leader in any place in the world, politically, academically, in media, in businesses, I don't care who they are, Jesus' expectation of a Christian leader is to be a servant. To not fight for a name, not to fight for a title, not to fight for honor. This was not the mindset, and Jesus chose not to grasp it. Jesus lived with the mindset of not making a name for self, not promoting self, not fighting for notoriety or demanding people honor his title. He said, I want to be known as the Son of Man. I want to be known as a human being, not as God, and I want to be known as a servant, not the leader of leaders. We have to begin to wrestle with this. I know I do. He uses the word emptied. Again, the word emptied means exactly what you think that it means, to take something that's full and to pour it out so there's nothing left, right? That's the idea, this idea of pouring out. In this piece of empty, the takeaway is clear, Jesus emptied himself of his deity, and I have no idea to what degree and what that means and how it plays itself out. That's where the theological debate is. Great schism. Let's not schism over it, guys, right? But somehow he just emptied himself of his deity to take upon himself humanity. It was a priority. Why did Jesus empty himself? Well, one of the reasons could be this. Again, Jesus came to model what this is important this is a really theological tenet to hold, hold on to. Jesus came to model what the life of a human being is supposed to look like. He what's called the second Adam because the first Adam failed. Right? So Jesus is the second Adam. He came to, to model what a human life is supposed to look like. If he lived in the power of deity, then he isn't our example. It would be an unfair advantage, right? Be an unfair advantage. But in this, we are told he came to earth. He was tempted in the same way that we are as every human being is, meaning in some only God knows how way. Jesus walked somehow in the frailty of humanity, experiencing life in the way that we do, but he conquered it. How? Because he was God? No, because he was empowered by the same spirit that now dwells in you. It's a theological tenet. Jesus couldn't be our model in, in a fair way. If he's like, well, I'm just doing it in the power of my divinity. No, I'm doing it in the power of the Spirit as a human being. Again, it's, it's, it's brains bigger than all of us have wrestled through this, but to recognize, I'll just take it this way, Jesus. You've empowered me, so I, and you're my model, so you've empowered me to have your mindset and to do the things that you did. I don't know how, but by grace and your power and ability in me, I received that, now help, right? So in that, God may give you a title. He may allow you to be known and to walk with some level of authority and influence, but aspiring to it promotes self and causes us to not be Christ-like. And we see here always, it always breeds disunity in us and a them mentality. We have to die to it. Jesus' mindset, I'm going to name some things. I want you to see if you can find other things, and you can write them down in your notes, okay? I'm going to name like four or five. You name others that you see in these verses. 
Jesus' mindset, the things that he lived by. He had the mind of Christ because he was. Now here's the mindset that he then exhibited. Humility, servanthood, deference to others, anonymity, sacrifice. What would you add from this? I'll name that list again. A mindset of humility, a mindset of servanthood, of deference to others, anonymity, sacrifice. Again, what would you add? This is the mind, listen, this is the mind that governed Jesus and the mindset that defines his actions. So with that, there's a personal responsibility. That's what Paul's getting. He said, listen, you're, you're not living a lifestyle in accordance to the gospel, right? Your conduct, your actions are not in keeping with the gospel of Jesus. Let me express to you the actions that define Jesus. These are his mindset. There's a, now a per, it's the beautiful piece of humanity. There's God's grace available at all times to empower us to do the things we can't do in our own strength. But there's also a personal responsibility we have in it. They're always married together. I don't care what theological stream you run in. That is an understanding for all of us. There is the power and the grace of God to do the things we can't do, but a personal responsibility to agree with it, to, a whole, to engage it, and to allow it to move through us. Choices that we make. That's what Paul's getting at. So the action verbs that we see here, I'm not naming all of them, just three and two I've already talked about. But the first one is, the, is verse 6 where he uses I, to count, right? Verse 6, to, to count. It says, who though being in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Literally means to regard or to think. I count myself. I regard. I think of myself here, meaning he gave himself to a thinking, a thought process of humility. Just as he chose to think this way, so too are we. We count ourselves as humble. We say, this is the choice. This is the step. This is the action I'm giving myself to. I don't sit back and let Jesus express humility through me. Right? We're not robots. We're not just puppets on a string. There's a choice I make to agree with God's Spirit and keep in step with His Spirit and to walk in the Spirit, Galatians 5. I count. I make a choice. Second is the word humility and humble, verse 4 and 8. You know these words. I've already named them, but we discussed it earlier. But it is imperative we recognize that humility is something that is always a choice. It's always a choice in contrast to the selfish ambition we can also choose. Sin is always a choice we make. Nothing or no one makes us sin. Selfish ambition as sin is always a choice. Therefore, humility and humbling ourselves is a choice. We say, God, I choose to humble myself, and so I make that decision, and then God's Spirit then begins to empower that from behind. We lift the sail in a sense, and he blows into it, right? Imperfect analogy, but you understand what I'm getting at. And so we choose humility. It's an action choice. It's a mindset that we engage. Third was the word emptied from verse 7. Again, we looked at it, but... Jesus modeled it. We are to fight for others as a lifestyle and trust God to exalt us if he chooses. We are to make a name for Jesus. We are to promote others. We are to care about others. We are not to make sure, are you caring about me? Are you caring about me? No, we care for and give ourselves to others. Yes, there are times when God says, now I want you to pull away and care for self. But as a lifestyle, you're giving yourself to preferring and giving your life away, and loving others, fighting for them. 
powerful, overwhelming statement. But Jesus says, I've given you my mind. I've given you the ability. I've empowered you with the mind of Christ. And as you choose a mindset, I will empower and my spirit will empower you to do this. We are to actively, we are to actively choose to empty ourselves of selfish ambition until we clearly see Jesus and the needs of others before our own as being more significant than ours. The heart of Paul's message about Jesus is clear. We have the mind of Christ. It enables us. In turn, we are to choose the mind of Christ. It's our responsibility every day. Jesus is our model. What he modeled for us is what you are to aspire to and pursue, recognizing that every day selfish ambition will be at the other side of the door. Every single day, making a name for yourself, fighting for yourself, saying, do you know who I am? Right? All of these things that we do by nature, let's be honest, here's the hardest part. You know what the hardest part of this is, guys? Those things are celebrated by our culture. They are the antithesis of Scripture, but we've embraced them and said, this is the American lifestyle. It's the American culture. As a leader, I'm going to make a name for myself. I'm going to force myself I'm going to be powerful. I'm going to be big. I'm going to make people fear me. It's an American cultural thing. We see it in politics. Narcissistic leaders on every side of the aisle promoting self, promoting their own agenda, promoting what's important to them. You're about to see it in full view in the upcoming months. You see it in the context of, of schools. People making power trips. You see it at work all the time. People will trample on you to get what they want all the time. And you're like, but I'm choosing humility and I'm getting trampled upon. Just think about what you are receiving in heaven. It trumps everything. That's the heartbeat of what Jesus is getting at. Our goal is unity. Our effectiveness in the gospel is the church is unified. What happens in the church if every single one of you starts to view the other as more significant than self? What happens? Then all of a sudden, you're like, all they do is want to know about me. And that person across from you is going, all they want to know, all they want to think about is about knowing me. And you, all of a sudden, you live in this world of receiving because of how well that you're giving. That's kingdom economy. If we all choose humility, then we're all receiving. The expression of this life was seen again in every step that Jesus took, his humility, his obedience, his self-renunciation. He didn't seek to dominate other human beings. Instead, he sought to love the Father and to love others. That's the mindset that we're called to. You cannot do it at all, even a little bit, in your own strength. And so your prayer is, God, forgive me that I have chosen selfish ambition. The heartbeat of Paul, like, you just need to repent. You need to turn from that. You need to wake up and recognize the heart, the mindset that's defining you. See Jesus as the model. Ask forgiveness and say, now, Jesus, I choose this mindset. Now help me to live it out. 
every moment of every day. It's why every day we are to be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because it's not just a one-time thing I did 20 years ago. It's something I'm doing every single day. And I will just tell you from personal experience that dying to self, it is never easy. It gets easier as I do it more, but it's never easy. Let's pray. Father, as we come into this time of reflection and this time of ministry, we, we're just thankful that, Jesus, you modeled for us what a mindset looks like to have an effective gospel life. But even more importantly, we're thankful that you have given us your mind that enables and empowers us. And so, Jesus, this morning we ask, would you please come and awaken us, cause repentance in us, Lord, and then put us on a path, Lord, towards humility and servanthood as a lifestyle that then all of a sudden causes the gospel to come alive wherever we go. Jesus, we love you. Pray this in your name. Amen and amen. This morning in response, we will have ministry teams that will be available for each of you. Uh, if you want to come forward, it'll be on both sides. We'll have uh, our um, communion elements available for you. I, I think communion will be a great, um, a great response this morning because communion is really all about the nature of Christ's sacrifice. It's all about his servant heart. It's about him having his body broken for you and having his blood poured out for me. And as we take it, what we ask is, God, as I remember this, would you cause the truth of it to come alive inside of against, inside of me like in a way it never has, Jesus, that, Lord, I would be able to walk in this mindset. So you made me, some of you need to come to the altar and just as a sign of uh, kind of old school, man, like just come to the altar and like lay down those burdens, lay down the sin, lay down whatever it is. And this is a perfect, there's nothing holy about this other than Jesus being here. But it's just a picture of like, I can take this stuff that's in me and just put it on right here in the altar. And Jesus will pick it up and he'll crush it, put it on the cross again, right? This beautiful, put it on the cross when we already died for it, right? The beautiful piece. I'm going to come to the altar and just allow God to do that. Or where you're seated this morning. It's already 11.17 this morning, so I'm going to pray for us. As I pray, that's the official end of service, okay? And so you can go if you need to, uh, or if you want to stay, you just stay, and when we'll be done once the worship ends. So I'm not going to tell you when to leave, all right? You have responsibility and your own self-reliance to take care of yourself, and you just leave whenever you feel released and ready to go. And when you leave, go with the blessing of the Lord. He loves you. He is for you. He is moving in your life. But if you want to stay, you just stay as long as you want. Worship. Allow God to, to, to speak and to move in your life and just to enjoy yourself in his presence and the presence of the church family. So, Jesus, thank you. You were holy. You were good. We ask this morning, God, that you would move upon each heart here that you would expose these broken places and you don't expose out of anger. You expose out of love because once we expose these broken places and we get rid of them, then it's as if all of a sudden we had like a weight on us and now we can run. It's always, listen, it is always your kindness that leads to repentance. You're like, I, oh, I just can't wait to get rid of that chain and ball that's keeping you from the fullness that I have for you. It's always a gift of your love. So Holy Spirit, come. Speak to us, challenge us, change us, Lord.
grow us into the mindset of Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen. You respond as the Lord leads. I love you guys. Again, offering baskets here and on the way out. You guys have a great week, and we'll see you soon.